Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to episode 49 of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, we're going all the way down to Waterford in Ireland with Enda O'Doherty. Enda, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you, Reen. Good morning. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Busy morning, but good. So for those who don't know you, author, international motivational keynote speaker, you've run nine marathon, nine marathons in eight days. But typical fashion of this podcast is we go right back to chapter one and work away from there. So out of curiosity, I've done some research and I know that you live in Waterford, but are you from Kildare? So I was originally, I was born in Westmeath and uh, right. my parents lived, lived in, in a place called Millmount, right beside um, Joe Dolan and the Swarbricks, Mullingar's uh, Glitterati. And uh, they moved from there to, my dad bought a small shop in West Wicklow, the kind of shop Ryan, where if you wanted something, you had to point because it was behind the counter. Yeah. And I remember my first visit there as a five-year-old and uh, there was a huge storeroom of sweets and we walked through the next storeroom. It was piled to the ceiling with coffins because that's what you did in rural Ireland. You sold everything, wellies, coffins, flowers. And uh, my dad was, he's, he, he's an amazing man still. He's 84, but he was an innovative businessman. He, he had this new idea, this thing that he thought was going to catch on in Ireland called a super market. Now, the concept was that you got all of the products together and you let the customers touch them. So he bought this small little country shop and turned it into uh, a, f- a fine big supermarket and petrol station. So uh, West Wicklow is where I grew up. But I suppose West Wicklow is, is Wicklow people will hate me for saying it, but Kildare really. So I went to school in Newbridge and I went to primary school in now a hotel, Killashi in Nace and uh, would have been in university in Maynooth. So it's, I was going to say a lot of travels, but not really, not an Irish scale. No, if Ireland, it's, it's not yeah. too much, but you can... You can uh, Work it to sell exotic to an international audience. <laughs> um, talk to me, you're growing up in all those different places. You got any favorite standout memories or what was your childhood like? My childhood was it was quite black and white. I would have had a difficult childhood, I suppose. I would have been bullied a little bit, probably because my parents were economically, they were very successful. And um, sometimes there's a price to be paid for that. You were the, the son of the rich kid. That was tough at times. But I would say in the main, it was idyllic. I had world-class education. I had the happiest, kindest parents in the world. I had great siblings. We did things in the 80s that people weren't doing in Ireland because of recession. We were traveling all over Europe and going on holidays. And it was a pretty good childhood in terms of what I've ended up doing in life. And I suppose the person I am, I grew up where work ethic was number one. You got up as early as you could get out of that bed and you worked until you dropped. And while my dad set up this supermarket, it's mad to think now, but you know, I saw a documentary there the other night on Reeling in the Years. Like we, my full childhood and teenage years particularly during the summers would be Wednesday we drive to Smithfield Market because they sold exotic goods such as pineapples and bananas and we would then uh, transport these back down to Wicklow to sell to the natives who hadn't seen pineapples and bananas literally and it's funny now you walk into any supermarket you take it as a given there's a supply chain and there's all of these goods are available the whole time but it was hard work my Saturdays were lifting cylinders of gas weighing bags of potatoes and carrying bags of coal and I think it gave me a couple of things it gave me huge resilience it gave me huge determination and it gave me a realization that you have a wide spectrum of guests here but I would see common threads through the successful ones and that's 
in, our, in the world we live in, you want coffee, add water, it's instant success. You want a pizza, click dial. You want a friend, add. You want to get rid of a friend, delete. But in the teams and businesses that I'm lucky enough to inspire and work with, it doesn't work like that. It's relentless, persistent, consistent effort. Uh, it's relentless overcoming failures and hard work that gets you there. Inspiration as well as perspiration. So I definitely sure. would have got that. I'm sure you got a lot of that from your father as well, but you've touched on your parents with the supermarket. Where did they get that? Uh, I guess, were they entrepreneurial by nature? How did that come about? Because you said it was a different time back in Ireland back then and pineapple and bananas being exotic. <laughs> Pizza, how did they come to own a supermarket? I think well, my mom was a primary school teacher and, and very gifted musician. My dad had worked in a small hardware store and I think he realized um, I can be a cog in the machine here or I can make my own cogs on my own machine. And off he went. I think my grandfather was also quite an innovative man and unusual man, like in the 1920s. Um, there's a photograph just behind me here of him. He was a radio officer and he traveled the world multiple times, sending Morse code back and he just wants to do something different. I think it's probably rushed off on me too. And that so many people meet me and they go, wow, what's it like to be an author? God, imagine like yesterday I spoke to, I don't know, a couple of thousand people on a webinar and they go, God, it must be so exciting. And Sometimes I forget, yes, it is. It's a bloody great job and it's, an, and it's a fantastic privilege and it's so exciting. And maybe we find it, we can fight the genes, Rian, but we are a product of what we grow up in and what's around us to an extent. Here's what I know about you so far. You are a mad Leinster rugby fan. <laughs> I believe you own a dog or two dogs. You've been on holidays to places like Lanzarote. You've seen Ed Sheeran in Crow Park. But what's one thing you're into or curious about that not a lot of people know about I'm, I'm curious about your level of stalking, how legal it is. That's pretty in-depth. That's pretty good. Yeah, I do love Ed Sheeran. I do love rugby. Something that people don't know about me. Do you know, I, as a motivational speaker, sometimes I'm not motivated. I'm human. I, I spoke yesterday to, I was doing a, a call yesterday with a fantastic uh, huge worldwide company, Dassault Systems. And I was speaking to their, to the organizer. We were online about 20 minutes on the webinar. And she said, oh my God, you must be so confident. And I said, honestly, I'm wearing a Navy suit because the cold sweat is running down my back. I'm terrified. And she was, what? How many have you done this year? I said, I don't know. I've lost track. And she said, you're still afraid. And I said, yeah, I'm human. In the same way, people think motivational speakers, I'm going to get out of bed in the morning, high five my wife, do a thousand pushups and run to the gym and eat cranberry juice for the day. You know, I think what people miss sometimes is that we are human. Sure, I have a pretty fantastic backstory and it's a story that inspires people. And sure, I've thankfully been gifted talents to explain to people how they can maximize their potential in business and sport and in life. But yeah, my, my dark secret is I'm just human. I like that. Authentic. Tell me this then, as we get into your story and unpack all of that, you haven't always been a motivational speaker. And I say this because sometimes you, you, we touched on this an audience of 6,000. We were talking before we went live. Sometimes if you're part of the 6,000, you're looking at one individual on stage and it can be difficult to relate to that individual because they're in a completely different uh, situation than you are. So you weren't always a motivational speaker. And I say that, follow that with a question of what was the life of Ender before you got into this keynote motivational speaking? 
Yeah, it was back to 1986 when I did my leaving search. The country was in massive recession and both my parents insisted that I get a nice sensible degree. So I went and did an arts degree. And to be honest, I really just chased women and drank for four years. That's what I did in college. And thankfully, I chased and caught the right one because we're together 30 years. But I suppose I went teaching. I had a, I had a degree in modern Irish literature through Irish. I get bored easily. So I did Greek and Roman civilization, sociology and geography. And I did this degree and sure, my mother said, you'll have to do teaching because you can't do anything else with that. And I went into a class and I suppose one of those lucky things that has happened to me repeatedly in life is um, five minutes into my first classroom, I went, oh, my God, I love this. This was just incredible. And I from the first day to right up to the present, like when I'm in front of people, I'm a teacher, I'm explaining things. I like to be, to think of that teacher in school, Rian, that inspired you or you were a little bit in awe of, a little bit afraid of, a little bit you laughed at, but you still, you had a rapport with. And I sometimes, when I look at my job now, when I look at what I do now, I sometimes would say to my wife, God, I wish I'd done this years ago. And she said, you couldn't have. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, you had to learn the trade. Like I, I stood in front of classrooms and spoke for five hours a day for 30 years. Sometimes people say to me, God, you're so smooth on stage or you're so measured or you're so calm. And I'm going, well, I've been practicing a while. For 10,000 hours. Yeah, but, you know, back to what we were saying earlier about being normal. So that actually the conference you were talking about, um, Blackboard in, in, in Baltimore, it's a good it's a good reflection, maybe, you know, to share with people a little insight into my life as a speaker. So I'm backstage in the auditorium, massive, huge backstage. The backstage is the size of the Point Theatre. And uh, I see this other speaker and I walk over and introduce myself. And this guy instantly gives me the handoff. He said, and he had his notes. He was like really stressed reading his notes. And he said, I'm sorry, man, I, I'm, I'm up next. And I was like, oh, God, sorry. It's an Irish thing. We talk to everyone, anyone, any point, any opportunity. But I was remember looking at him and instantly I did that thing we do, self-doubt. I was like, God, this is what real pro speakers must do. God, I should get out my notes. And I watched this guy walk way to the back of backstage reading his notes. And I was like, oh, my God, how amateur am I? And the next thing I heard, please welcome to stage John Calhoun or wherever his name was. And it was him. But he had taken out his earpiece and he was about two minutes walk from the backstage so somebody waved at him and he started running. He put the mic in, his mic went live and you could hear the entire auditorium. You could hear <laughs> as he ran up the stage going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> but I like, I like for me, like that day, so I, my wife was there and my, my son actually came to the conference. They flew us out, it was a big deal. And But like simple things I would have done on, on the morning is I walked into the auditorium and I just sat down beside a total stranger and started chatting. So I met these three absolutely beautiful young ladies from Hawaii and they're at the conference. And uh, I said, are you looking forward? And they said, yeah, yeah. There's an Irish guy this morning. He carries washing machines up Kilimanjaro. And I said, no way. And then we chat for a second. I said, you know what? It's me. And she goes, oh my God, what are you doing out here? And I said, I just wanted to meet some of the people that I'm going to speak to. So I, I went around the left-hand side of the auditorium. I went to the center of the auditorium and I went to the extreme right. And I had three people that I knew their first names and had spoken to. So I went backstage and they did lights, cameras, action. I came up on the stage. But while there was 6,000 in the theatre, I spoke to three people. And most people, I coach people, I coach CEOs and people who have to present in, in the media or in public. And people are like, oh, my God, I couldn't speak to 6,000. I said, neither could I, but I could speak to three. And I actually knew their names before I even started. So I li- literally went left, right, right, center, left. To somebody who, who wouldn't be familiar, they'd say, my God, you were so relaxed and you really worked the whole room. But it was as simple as talk to three people that I had already met. 
That's smart. I like that tactic. I do. I've heard other people. I, one tactic I heard was hey, just picture people naked, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that in the audience. No, well, you picture the wrong person naked. It could be very awkward altogether. And at another conference I spoke at, very often my role as a motivational speaker. So I speak about resilience. I speak about performance. I speak about inspiring people to get the best from themselves, because it really doesn't matter whether you're playing rugby, whether you're selling jelly beans, whether you're trading Bitcoin, whatever your enterprise is the characteristics and qualities of winners the characteristics of what makes people successful is universal across the board now i'm I'm very privileged to see that because i can see that from i I recently did some work with leinster rugby right up to say the soul systems yesterday or i went to london and worked with the world sales team for um, TripAdvisor. And I would tell you all of those, you couldn't get more diverse, but they all have key characteristics and traits. But I, I would tell you too, I was backstage, Rian, and um, we, we, there was a meet and greet at this big conference I had spoken at in America. And this lady came over to me. She said, oh, my God, she said, I love your accent. And I said, thank you. I said, I didn't have one on the plane this morning. And she started laughing. And I said, no, honestly, everyone on the plane sounded like me. It's only when I got off the plane, I had an accent. And she said, are there many Muslims like you in Ireland? And I was completely frozen. But the yeah. wonderful thing about Irish people, were, like we were just saying off air there, we're refreshingly honest and blunt. So I just said to her, I haven't a clue what you're talking about. I thought, is it the beard? Maybe that was it. And she said, I saw you praying. So what she had seen, I didn't know, she was part of, of the crew that was in the back room and she had seen me backstage. And what I often do before I go on stage, and if any of your viewers, anyone who follows you wants to use this, it's an amazing, powerful technique for speaking. So what I would do is, by the way, when you're just about to speak, you think, oh my God, I've, I've, I won't know what to say or they won't like me or this, they won't buy this product or oh, I, I'm going to stutter or my God, I'm sweating. Or you, think, you start thinking negatives. So yeah. rather than fight the negatives, what I get people to do is in your right hand, imagine the negative. Put another negative on top of that and keep going until you've come up with every positive negative, like right down to satellite crashes on the building, meteors, nuclear, like the most ridiculous things. Because when you get the list high enough, what happens is even no matter how nervous you are, there's a bit of your logic kicks in. You go, a meteorite isn't going to hit the building. That's stupid. And it's a calming effect. But equally, what I do is in my left hand, I imagine all the good things that could happen. So I could get a radio gig, I could get a movie, I could get another book deal, I could get some more engagements as a speaker, I could meet someone interesting, I could learn something. I stack up all the positives. And generally, just before I go on stage, I close one hand with the positives, I squeeze my hand and I think that's what I'm going to get today. And I walk out on stage and if you have a look at any TV stuff or anything I've done, you'll nearly always see one of my hands closed at the start because I'm literally grabbing the good stuff. That's what I want to happen. But back to this poor lady, she... What she saw from a distance with me, my hands open going. And she, she assumed that I was praying. And I had to say, I said, no, I'm not religious at all. I said, it's just a, it's a technique I use as a speaker to get the best from myself. But that's the fun of it. That's what I've been missing with. Um, I've been, I have the Zoom coming out of my ears. I've put in my studio yeah. here at home. I have lights and camera and sound, a virtual set. But I'm miss, missing the crack. I'm missing watching people squirm on the seat when you ask a really powerful question or people you know crying because they're laughing so much i miss that side of it me too you're a source of inspiration for many who do you look up to i suppose the last two years was tough i I really would have would have i still do admire and look up to my mother my book is just over my shoulder there wrong shoulder other side there you go yeah and so i wrote a chapter in the book and she passed away two years ago three years ago sorry yesterday she had breast cancer and 
I didn't realize what I was living with, but I was living with inspiration. Like she was the most amazing, powerful woman, permanently happy, permanently up early, bursting with energy, bursting with kindness, super intelligent, very musical. She, I didn't realize what I was around. Like her best friend died from cancer and she died in NACE Regional Hospital and she really didn't have hospice care. Or she was in a bed beside someone who was having their appendix out and her family had to say goodbye. And my mother's response to that was in the 80s to raise four or five million pounds and convert the jockey hospital in Kildare into Kildare's first hospice. And I suppose you say, who, who would I look up to? I would definitely look up to her, an amazing, inspirational woman. There was a journalist asked me, Rian, he asked me once, what was your greatest achievement? Was it nine marathons in eight days with a washing machine? Was it climbing Kilimanjaro? Was it your book? Was it like as mad as it sounds? We, we have someone interested in movie rights for the book. And they said to me, what's your greatest achievement? And sometimes in life, the right answer just comes out. There's no thought yeah. process. And I said to them that my greatest achievement by far is to surround myself with great people. I have nobody in my life that's dead weight. I have anyone that I am friends with are intelligent, caring, competent, encouraging, inspirational, mad, funny. I constantly stick with those people and mm. it, it rubs off. Have you ever had someone in a work scenario sit down and you, they go, it's very wet today. That yeah. coffee's very watery. The mortgage due next, and 30 seconds into it, you can actually feel your life force leaving you. <laughs> so, my greatest achievement, yeah, surrounding myself with great people and the person I would admire. I'm going to say, I'm going to give two corny answers. I don't care if they're corny because it's the truth, but the second one would be my wife. What an amazing woman. I'm not as stupid as I look, Rian. I met her on a Monday. I was 19. And on the Wednesday afternoon, I asked her to marry me because I knew exactly what she was. She's Physically, she's a beautiful lady, but she's the kindest, uh, most caring person you'd ever meet. Inspirational woman to be around. Um, Where did you meet? We met in college. She was on her coffee break and I was dodging lectures as usual. But it's funny, sometimes in Ireland we, we, and around the world, we tend, to, we tend to focus on the heroes. And we, we tend to, it has to be an exceptional person, female, to be a heroine. But, you know, when I was carrying this washing machine and like it's, it got loads of attention, it's helped me greatly as a speaker and it's made a lot of difference to saving lives and opening conversations about suicide in Ireland. But on one of our walks, my wife, she nearly every walk we finished near a particular hotel where she wants to go to the toilet. And I said to her mm -hmm. one day, I said, look, this toilet thing is just ridiculous. Can we just walk someday without going to the toilet? And um, I said, look, maybe you should get this checked out. So on a Monday morning, she went to the GP Tuesday, she was at the gynae and Wednesday, she discovered that she had a 14 pound tumor on her womb. Now, 14 pounds, oh. is, it's a decent sized turkey. It's a big yeah. chunk. It was benign, thank God. But on the Thursday morning, she had a full hysterectomy. And if anyone has had someone they love had a hysterectomy, it's a huge operation psychologically and physically. You know, there's a lot of stitches. But she went to see the consultant and he said, look, you have to give up the gym. You have to really mind yourself, give this time to heal. And she was a bit disappointed because like physical activity is something we're into. And she said to him, is there anything I can do? And he said, you can walk. So four and a half months later, she walked beside her husband as he carried a washing machine from Belfast to Waterford. She walked 30 miles every day. And wow. uh, she's not on the cover of the book. It's it's my baldy head. But uh -huh. I like I like that quiet strength that she has. And when we went to Africa, she was the first to the summit on Kilimanjaro, but you'll never see her waving a flag. She's that quiet, powerful, supportive person.
Shout out to your mother and your wife. You've touched on your mother with the hospice center mm. raising money. And you've also touched on the washing machine. The reason why I say this is because you yourself <laughs> wanted to build a mental health facility in Waterford, which is where you're based at the moment. And you needed upwards of 300,000 euro, which gave you the idea to climb Kilimanjaro with a washing machine and back to get media attention. For those who are listening, that's the highest freestanding mountain in the world. Yeah. Why? Yeah. We're, we're bad with numbers. If you can look out the window from, can you see outside from where you are in? You can? Yeah. Can you see the clouds? I can, yeah. We were three days walk above that cloud. You can get your head around that. Three days walk above that. Eight days going uphill. I suppose, look, the washing machine thing was, I was very grateful. I went through a very dark time where I was suicidal. I went through a very dark time with depression and anxiety. And when I got free of those, when I mastered it, I was intent on giving back. And regrettably, I, I'm on, I, I mentor people in, who are involved in fundraising and different charities. It's very hard to raise money and one thing you do need is a hook for media. You need something people can latch onto. So the washing machine was a really simple, powerful thing, an image, but also a powerful mental health message. It was in Ireland this week, we lose about eight to 10 people to suicide. And those people will tragically have lost their lives because they were carrying a hidden load that nobody knew about. Nobody knew they were under pressure. The first thing you know is when you get that tragic phone call or that awful message from someone that something terrible has happened. So my message with the washing machine was don't carry something stupid if you're around, particularly if you're a man. I, I would find huge demand from businesses and corporates to speak about mental health because it's really crucial that people know that your mental health is it's all you have, your physical health and your mental health. And, and businesses realize now that if someone in their key, key worker or someone, a part of their team is suffering, that that has a massive knock-on effect on on everyone around them and that they genuinely need to care for people. So our message was share the load, ask for help. And I suppose there was a second part of the message. And the second part of the message was sometimes in life, the, the guy who's smiling, the guy who seems to be your most successful employee is the guy that's struggling most. And that's why the title of the book, I don't know, can you make the picture out behind me? So yeah. you know, when people asked me at my worst, when I was drinking four bottles of whiskey a week and people said, how are you getting on in I said, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. I'm great. How are you? And the truth was I was days or weeks away from taking my own life. So I suppose part B of the washing machine was to remind people. But do you know, Ryan, it's a great, it's a great bloody conversation opener. If you and I go for a walk someday and I put the washing machine on my back, you want to see the smiles, the laughter, like the shock. People are like, what the hell is he doing? And it's a great conversation opener. People will say, why are you carrying that? And you say, look, share the load, ask for help. And they go, God, that's a powerful, simple message. And it, it, it worked. It, it really got, I remember being in, in work one day and getting a, a request for an interview from the Dubai Times. And somebody else sent me a, a link to a conversation. There was a German mountain forum, German mountain climbers forum. And they were having a discussion about whether it was myth or legend that an Irish fellow went up Kilimanjaro with a washing machine. <laughs> and someone sent me this conversation. Or I got some, somebody sent me something from the Tokyo Times or Tokyo something. Wow. But here was this Irish fella that had gone viral the story. And it's, it's been wonderful. Do you know, it's been, it's, yeah. it's been absolutely shocking what, what, what it has happened in terms of the conversation with mental health and in terms of its impact on me personally and professionally. And like so much of it, honestly, Rian, like, do you know, we were coming down off Kilimanjaro and my wife says to me, how tired are you? And I said, I'm really tired. I lost my toenails, my, my fat pads. I was having hallucinations. <laughs> I was really ill. Yeah. And she said, how bad are you? And I said, I'm seeing stuff. And she said, what are you seeing? And there was a couple in front of us, a little bit down the trek in the middle of the jungle. I said, I can see Indiana Jones. And she laughed and I laughed. 
And we got down to the car park and all the Irish crew were there. And Harrison Ford and his wife had been walking in front of me the whole way down the mountain. Huh. You know, like I tell people that they go, oh, he's back on the whiskey again. He's, he made yeah. that up. But actually, somebody I was talking to the other day in a podcast said to me, yeah, nice story, but yeah, I'm not sure. So I actually sent him, uh, I sent him my Harrison Ford photograph. <laughs> I got this reply. Yeah. Said, Jeez, I'm sorry. I didn't believe you. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was a great, great response from you. Look, you've touched on the whole mental health side of things and that you were at your peak drinking four bottles of whiskey a week. You're now sober 13 years. You talked about a story about how you moved the shed in your backyard and you found bottles that you used to drink behind the shed. Yeah. I was chatting to a Scottish guy the other day for the podcast as well, Rory Fairbairns. He owns a company called One Beer, One Year No Beer. You can guess what that is by the title, but he ha- had a moment in his life where actually his wife, she's Swedish, left with his daughter and she went back to Sweden because he was drinking so much. The moment that it hit him was he was on a train home and he stuck his head out the train and recorded a video and he was pissed drunk and his wife, that was a it moment that it clicked and she left. But he then had a moment in his life where he came to a fork and he had to choose which road he wanted to go down, the other road of like sorting his shit out for himself, but also for his family or go on the left-hand side of. He was a, an oil broker making good money. He enjoyed the pub. He could have stayed on that route and come up with excuses. It sounds like you've you had a similar decision 13 years ago. Uh, what was it that was the penny, the moment the penny dropped for you? Do you know, I think most days of the week, including this week, pennies are still dropping. Much of it's a blur. Much of it is embarrassing. Much of it is sad and tragic. And I'd love to tell you, I, when I tell people I'm an alcoholic, and sometimes people think you're going to live under a bridge in a cardboard box and have a dog called Ted and eat kebabs out of the bin. And only one of those is true. The kebabs, obviously, I love my yeah, kebabs. Yeah, yeah. I still love my kebabs. But I, I didn't have that rock bottom. And I suppose this is the thing about addiction is and mental health is there isn't one description or there isn't one type literally i played a tennis match very late one night under lights i came home and i had myself a large brandy and milk because i thought brendan bean used to drink it i thought if it's good enough for brendan bean it's good enough for me and uh, if anyone who is drinking i recommend you try it at some stage it's um, very delicious but i woke up the next morning and i had an atrocious night's sleep between the adrenaline and the brandy and uh, i said to my wife i said that's it i'm done and she used that tone of voice that only people in relationships can hear she said that's great love and uh, what she really meant was not in a million years. And I suppose it's been a theme through my life. When someone says to me, you can't do something, it's an instant switch for me. It, it's a flick, it, the switch is on and it's game on and watch me. But the funny thing is when I was working, I did a gig with Microsoft, brilliant gig with uh, their interns in Africa, Middle East, the week before last. And we were talking about weaknesses and I said, it's really important. I, I see a lot of people eliminate weaknesses from their life or try to hide them or ashamed of them. And I said, for me, a really powerful um, tactic is to identify your weaknesses and it can be your strength. So clearly I'm someone who is obsessed with alcohol, but that ability to focus and become obsessed is now my superpower. Like it's absolutely completely normal for me to be out of bed at five o'clock, have breakfast at six, do a podcast with you. I'm going live at a company in the next hour or so. I have a book coming out. Well, I'm contributing to a book for Christmas. I'm hoping to have a book next year. Most people hear my morning and they're exhausted and it's completely normal for me. 
like I have a podcast coming out. Actually, there you go. There's a world exclusive for you. The first person to, to hear. So I have a podcast coming out in the next couple of weeks called the Mighty Mini Podcast. And I'm working. I got a fantastic. I'll send it over to you, but I, I, I yeah, hope do. You, you can share. But I, I got a fantastic video promoting the podcast made by an amazing guy in Bangladesh that I met online. The power of mo- modern uh, technologies. But like I'm obsessed with the podcast at the moment, right down to the pitch of the music, to the titles, to sponsors, blah, blah. Blah, blah. But I'm completely happy with it. And it's like I say, it's a superpower. Yeah. Best of luck with the podcast. It, it, it might become your new addiction. I've started to get into it and I'm doing one. I'm releasing a new podcast every single day. So it takes up oh time. But I, well, I, I tell you something, back to what we said at the start about having a great work ethic, like a, a prerequisite for success, whether I'm working with a team, a business, an individual is like I tell people straight off up front. If you're not going to absolutely bury yourself in this and work really excess, huge amounts of effort, you're not going to see success. But I think sometimes, too, people plan goals or plan businesses or plan adventures and they don't really know what they're getting into until you're in it. It sounds lovely like I have a podcast. People trot it out now like I have a pair of socks. I have a podcast. But oh my God, when I like when I had to start at scratch and learn how to edit sound or graphics or platforms or connecting it to RSS and SEO on my website, like it's it's a, it's a different kettle of fish. But yeah. it's mad the connections. I'm, I have contributed to a couple of radio stations. I do motivational pieces, and I did a piece for a radio station the other day on the Lakota Indians, and they're a subtribe of the Sioux. And probably the most famous Sioux guy I said in my in the podcast, in this radio broadcast, was uh, Sitting Bull, who killed Custard at the Battle of Little Bighorn. And the Lakota have this amazing ethic for how we should live our life, how we should treat people. Like it's just it's it's like you got five or six of the world's greatest religions and ideas, and just stripped it right back to bare essentials. So I, I, I talked about how we could improve our life if we lived a little bit more like Sitting Bull. And I got an email yesterday morning from someone who was listening to tell me that. She was a cousin of the last person killed at the Battle of um, Little Bighorn, Custard's Last Stand. She was an Irish woman. And this guy was an Irish guy. And that he was wearing the papal cross because he had worked in the Vatican as a bodyguard for the Pope. And when Sitting Bull died, the last thing he had in his hand was the papal cross of this Irish guy. And whose cousin had heard me on the radio. And I just love... That's mad. Isn't it it just crazy? I love that, that... that we talk in technology and in business about the importance of connections and worldwide web. But I think, I think for people too, I, I, when I'm talking to in a business environment and I'm coaching people, I really stress the, the social at the end of the day, people buy products from people deal with people, people are satisfied with people or you're disappointed by people. And the the companies that are, are really moving ahead and are really being successful despite COVID are the ones that are people centered in their products and in their services, you know? Yeah. I've I've got a few more questions for you. Three more. Have you got any books, podcasts, mentors that you go to read, listen, or get advice from? That's a really powerful question. So I suppose Jerry Duffy, who a lot of people I'm sure will have heard of, ran 32 marathons in 32 counties in 32 days. I initially contacted Jerry a few years ago to go on one of his courses, one of his mentoring courses and training courses about working as a speaker. And Jerry, to his credit, said, look, meet me for lunch. He said, you're too far down the road for me to mentor. He said, you've made a lot of progress. You have a lot of things in place. And I would have been very grateful for him for giving me the encouragement and giving me the, I suppose, the, the push to go and do it. But as a rule of thumb, Rian, I, I read a lot and I learn a lot, but I really concentrate and um, bizarrely on doing things differently. So doing things differently is working for me. So 
I, I did an agency interview the other day for a UK speaker agency. And they said to me, same question, said, who, which speakers do you, are you influenced by and who do you follow? And I said the truth. I said, nobody. And they said, oh, but you must. And I said, no. I said, because when I go to a conference, I see people, they walk in, they all have the same laptop. They're wearing the same suit. They're wearing the same shirts. They're wearing the same shoes. They have the same opening, the same closing. There's the same rhythm to their speech. And I said, what people have to embrace is difference and confidence in yourself. I, I, I mightn't be the world's greatest speaker, but I am definitely the best endo authority out there. There is no one can touch me. <laughs> so I concentrate on, on, on maybe doing that much like the podcast too. I made a list of what the podcasts that I listened to the most successful podcasts in Ireland, I made a list of their top 10 attributes and could be crazy, but I've done the opposite for all of them. So I looked at what everyone was doing and I'm going totally the other direction and I'm sure I can phase back in and phase out, but initially I'm doing things completely differently. And I urge people that if you look at innovators or people who are successful in the sporting or in the business field, they're not people who follow the herd. They're people who stand up and say, you know what? Yeah, I have a plan. I have an idea. And by God, I'm going to stick to it. I agree with that. If you're, I don't know if you live in a house, apartment or where you live, you know, you, you know, you have a wife and dogs, if you have kids, all of that, they're all safe. Your loved ones are all safe, but your house slash apartment is burning down and you could only save one item. What one item would that be? Hard drive with the family photos. Nice answer. 100%. Because all we have, the average person um, watching today is going to live for 28,000 days. 28,000. Doesn't matter how much Lycra you own. Doesn't matter how many bikes you own. Doesn't matter how many times you run up Kilimanjaro. Doesn't matter yeah. if you go to yoga six times a day. An Irish person's getting 28,000 days. So my point to people is this. You've got to squeeze the max you can out of it. I, I, there was a client rang me the other night. They were asking me, um, what would I do? And I was explaining to them, as a speaker, there's a pre-conference call. But I said to them, I would always do a PDF afterwards with interactive videos and knowledge to keep the speech alive. And I said, there's a second presentation that I send you four weeks after our first presentation on video. So again, it keeps my presentation, my words and ideas alive. And the client was saying, oh, that's really good. And, and she said, is there anything you won't do? And I said, average. And she went, nice. oh, she said, that's a bit of a killer. And I said, yeah. I said, what's the point? Like, what's the point in sitting on the couch, eating Domino's pizza, watching Netflix and think that you're living? You're not. Your hamster in the cage behind you is marginally ahead of you. At least he's probably running around. He's, he's probably having more fun, but I'm passionate about I think it's because, Rian, I wasted years of my life. Like my Friday night drink watching the old uh, Celtic League rugby would have been a pint glass of vodka with a bottle of Benelin. And if an average person drank that, it would kill you stone dead. But my addiction had got to that point. Uh, my Saturday breakfast in around half two, three o'clock because I was hungover, dying. Saturday night start again. And Monday, fall apart, try and keep together until Thursday night so I could legitimately pretend to go out again. Opening of an envelope, I'd be at it because there was an opportunity socially to have alcohol. But I think because I wasted those days, I, yeah. I'm, I'm desperate to get to squeeze the life out of them. I'm, I'm grateful for the, the life I have. I, definitely the hard drive. If you ask me a physical object, definitely the hard drive. Good answer. Yeah, no, good, good. it was a good answer. A lot of people, and I've repeated this, usually say laptop or their mobile phone, but I enjoy when guests give me a different answer. <laughs> I would tell you my Leinster jersey or my Leinster flag as well now, if I'm being really honest. <laughs> Actually, now that you mentioned Leinster, I had a guest on from Cork, I can't remember, two or three weeks ago, Andrew Whitaker. Mm. He's a huge Monster fan. And I yeah. said, I put the question to him, so, Ogara or Sexton? So the same question to you, Ogara or Sexton? 
as a mentor, as a coach, as a kicker, as a player, leader, as a person, as a player, as, as in, player. yeah, yeah, as a warrior on the pitch, Johnny, every single time, total belief, total commitment, desperate to win, passion beyond belief, 100% every single time. I was very lucky, I said to this year, I got to work very briefly with the Leinster Academy. And one of the things that struck me about Leinster, for, for, and it's wonderful to pass the lessons on to, to business companies when I'm working with them, is my experience, my brief experience of working with their academy was excellence. If, if there's a call starting at 10 o'clock, everyone is ready at 10 to 10, mm. uh, down to greetings, down to thank yous, down to emails, punctuation. You get a stamp from them, a letter, the stamp is in the top right corner. It's perfection. The, dr- the standard is driven in every single aspect and friendliness and communication skills. Like it's, it's was, I did a presentation for their academy on maximizing your potential in life. And uh, next morning I got uh, an email from one of the organizers with the head of excellence in the academy, just thanking me for my presentation. And in it, there was an attachment. There was a PowerPoint attachment. And I said, I wonder what this is. And I opened it up. So when I opened up the presentation, it was the players after my, I had spoken, sat down, and they made a list of possible benefits for them as a team, as an organization, if they follow what I said. Then oh. they had a list of positive negatives if they didn't follow what I had said, the advice I'd given. They had an evaluation of me and then they had consequences for people within their group who did not match up to the expectation yeah. presented in it. It was so beautifully put together. I could, you could easily use it in a commercial setting. I've spoken to teams where, you know, that's cup of coffee and they go home, but the Leinster way was learn, advance, change, get better, progress. And, and then even to send that back to me the next day with a thank you. And I, I literally sat, looking at this and went, wow, this is why, they're so good. And, yeah. and I think too, as an organization too, again, my experience is very limited in working with them, but I didn't come across a single individual who wasn't outstanding. In, in, no matter what their role was, everybody was on point, pushing the limits constantly. And that's why they win. Great team. I'd like you to imagine it's the end of the decade. So it's 2030 and you're looking back on the last decade, so the last nine to 10 years. You can answer this personally or professionally, but what would you like to be looking back on pretending it's 2030? I'd like to be looking back thinking that I made a difference. I'd like to be looking back at the, the crisis. So there's, there's a friend of mine. He is an amazing guy. He was in the Irish Rangers. He was a sniper in the Gardaí and he's head of an elite armed response unit. He rang me at the start in the middle of lockdown. He said to me, Enda, how are you doing? And I said, I said, the first two days, I thought, which car are we getting rid of? Because I'm out of business. I'm gone. This is over. No, no theaters, no conferences. I, it's game over. I am gone. And he said, what did you do? I said, the first thing I did was I, to save my family. I signed up to a digital media marketing program online, one of these free ones. And I followed that, did two or three lectures every week and learned more than I could have imagined. I said, I got my book published. It's on sale. I said, I spent every single day on LinkedIn. I started planning the podcast. I rewrote every presentation I had and wrote new ones. I said, I pushed myself as hard physically as I could every single day. He said, that's brilliant. I said, why? He said, when we have a hostage situation or we have a shootout or something like that, he says, we sit down as a group afterwards in evaluation. And he said, we really only have one question. And I was like, no, come on. You have more than one question. He said, no, it boils down to one question. The one question we ask ourselves is, did we survive or did we thrive in crisis? He said, because if you just survive, if you fall over the finish line, the likelihood is the next time a crisis comes, there's a serious chance you won't make the finish line. And he said, yeah. in my world, somebody gets very badly hurt. 
He said, uh, crisis, it's meant, you're meant to grow, you're meant to change. It's not meant to be pleasant. It's not meant, I'm not saying I enjoy it. He said, but it's about adversity and about our response to it. Like, it's a, it, we can't control the world. It's a certainty that there'll be adversity and challenges in our life, but we can control our response. And long answer, when I look back, what would I look back in, in 10 years' time? I'd love to look back and say I thrived. I'd love to look back and say I was happy. I'd love to look back and say that I impacted people, that I made a difference to people's lives. In, in the last year, it's happened to me multiple times. I spoke with a company a couple of months ago and huge staff, very successful company, and everything was flying for them. And I explained to the HR department that if people reach out to me afterwards. Of course, I'll always get back in touch or offer advice or offer help. And I said to her, I guarantee you within your environment, there are people struggling that you've no clue of. Finished the presentation within five minutes. The first person to reach out to me was the CEO of the company. Well, who was absolutely falling apart. And if you saw him on the day, Ream, suited, booted, powerful, charismatic leader, tick every box. Yeah. But there was one box that he wasn't ticking. He wasn't happy. And so I, I would look back to say, was I resilient? Did I thrive? Was I happy? Did I impact people? And uh, it's a bit corny in 2021, but did I love? Did they care for people? Because mm. you know, I know if anyone who sat at the deathbed of someone they love, or it's the old cliche, you don't look for your bank balance. You don't look for your accountant. You look for the people that, that you care about. And uh, yeah. that's what I'd love to look back and say. Good news is it's only the start for you and you've already achieved a lot. So I'm sure in a decade you'll have achieved a lot more. I've thoroughly enjoyed spending the last 50, 55 minutes getting to know you a little more. Uh, and I wish you nothing but the sex success going forward. Enda O'Doherty, thank you for being my guest today. Brian, thank you so much. And look, can I do the shameless plug? If anyone would like to find sure. more information about having me speak with your company or business, you can find me on endodoherty.ie. And also you can get a signed copy of my book, which is there as well. And uh, the one thing I'd say to people is keep smiling, keep working hard and enjoy life. I'll leave a link to your YouTube, your book, your website, all of that, LinkedIn, everything below in the comments field, depending on if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it on any of your podcast apps, the link is in the comment field below. Thank you so much. Beautiful morning, beautiful sunrise.